Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening session of Sunday the 22nd of February 2009, entitled, To Walk on Water, You Must Get Out of the Boat. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 31, and Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, amen. Good to see all of you tonight. It's hard to believe it's Sunday night, isn't it? Almost, uh, I almost uh, hate to see it even start back last Sunday morning. I hate to even see this night come, but uh, you know, ultimately it does have to end. But we don't say goodbye around here. We say see you later. So we'll see you a little later. But uh, God's been so good to us, hadn't the young people? Uh, it's been such a blessing to a worship and to, to see Him do a work in people's lives. I thank God for it. So. Um, we're going to go full circle. We started Friday night uh, about why uh, storms come. Started in Matthew chapter number 14. And uh, we're going to go back to Matthew 14. I want you to look at it very quickly. Matthew chapter number 14. And uh, you folks are in for a treat. They don't know this, but all of us uh, that were a part of the conference are going to come up here and, after I'm done preaching. And we're going to give you a little taste of what we uh, did over the weekend. We learned a little song. And uh, we might sing that, and we're going to do... Matter of fact, we're probably going to do two songs, aren't we, Evie? Yeah? Okay. And so, uh, but we're going to have... We, we had a great time this weekend. I'm telling you, if y'all did not get to go to the uh, open air uh, this past Saturday with us, uh, bro, you asked Brother Steve and, and some of the other folk that went with us how unbelievable it was. It was... It was Awesome. I mean, one of the best ones I've ever been at, ever. And, uh, you know, the Lord showed up, and that's what's most important. And uh, I, I thank God for it. And uh, Sure, I'm going to miss uh, you folk, but, uh, of course, we're going to go out for a meal on Tuesday night as a church. I hope it, I hope you can make it. If you can, I'm going to try to uh, touch base with each and every one of you before I leave. And uh, if not, hey, we're all on Facebook, you know? So... Who would have ever thought, you know, Facebook would be so popular, but it is. Matthew chapter number 14. We talked about why storms come, the reality of them, the, the reason they come, the, the rainbow through the storm and after the storm. You know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel, amen? And uh, uh, we are not in this thing to perish. He gave us a promise that God was going to let us go over to the other side, and there's a reward after the storm, and that is a crown. You're going to get crowns for going through these storms. He that endureth temptation, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord shall give unto them that love him. And so you'll get a crown if you go through these storms and keep the right attitude and say, Lord, not why, but why not me? Okay? So look at Matthew chapter number 14. We'll start a reading in verse number 22 again. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. To go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now tossed in the midst of the sea, in the middle of the sea, tossed, uh, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary, unpredictable. And it, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. You ought to circle that word fear. But straightway Jesus con uh, said unto them, uh, spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered 
him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Now, I've told the folk here at Bethel this before, and if you're a newcomer, let me go ahead and just submit this to you, that the only thing you need to walk on water is only the permission of Christ. That's all you need. He said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And guess what Jesus said? Come. All you need to walk on water is the permission of Jesus. And look what happened in verse number 29. And he said, come. And our text, if you'll see on the overhead, and when Jesus was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to give you the title of my message and I hope this will be a blessing to you. It's just some practical thoughts that I've put together as the last session for this night and for this conference. I want to preach a message to you tonight entitled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. Before I preach, let's go to the throne of grace real quick. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, help me not to kick it into neutral and preach, uh, Lord, as though I've done this before. I need your unction and your spirit. I know I can't, but you can. And God, though this is the last session, Lord, help me to preach in the demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit because, Lord, we're not done until the last amen of this conference. So, God, I pray that you'd work on hearts and, Father, that you would change us and help us to realize tonight by what we read that, Lord, if we're going to walk on water, we're going to have to get out of the boat. And we'll love you and praise you for what you do in our midst tonight because we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, heard a story about three men that were out fishing one day. All of them were quite elderly. I won't give the age because that might offend somebody. But anyway, they were elderly people, Brother Peter. No, I'm just <laughs> And anyway, they were elderly men, and uh, they were out fishing. I love that guy. I love him. And they were out fishing, and man, they were, they were complaining and griping Carl about their infirmities. They were hurting all over. One man, his arm was absolutely killing him. The other one's back was hurting. The other guy's leg was just at rheumatoid arthritis. And man, he was just absolutely in agony. And they said, you know what? I wish we lived in the day where Jesus would just come to us on the water and touch our infirmities and heal us. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes Jesus walking them on the water. And they looked and they said, it's the Lord. And they... All of a sudden, it hit him, and, and Jesus said, My children, what can I do for you today? And one of the men looked at him and said, Well, you know what, Lord? He said, I, I, We come out here fishing every week, and I'm telling you, we're, we're, just, we're aching all over. We're just getting old, and we can't do what we used to do. My arm is killing me, and I can, I can, you know, I can set the hook, but I can't reel him in because my arm hurts so bad. He said, Would you touch my arm? And he touched his arm, healed him, working just like it used to. Man, the other guy, he said, well, What would you have for me to do? To do my, for, what would you have me to do for you, my son? And he said, well, Lord, my back hurts. He said, I can reel it in, but I can't set the hook. I just can't. My back's killing me. He said, would you touch me? Lord touched him, held his back. He looked at the third guy and he said, what can I do for you, my son? He said, well, I draw benefits from the government. He said, please don't touch me, Lord. <laughs> you say, preacher, what's the method of your madness? My, my point is this. Don't come into this last service. And, don't, and if God speaks to you and you just say, well, you know what, I don't have time to deal with the Lord right now. It's time to go home. If the Lord speaks to you and wants to touch an area of your life, the prob problem with most of us is we won't allow Him to. I'm here to submit to you tonight. If the Lord speaks to you tonight, let Him touch that area of your life. Okay? Now I want you to notice this about walking on water. There's some things that hinder us from being able to walk on water. If you go all the way back in the book of Matthew, matter of fact, 
Turn to Matthew chapter number 6. I'm going to show you just a few things and we'll lead up to this. Some hindrances to walking on water. And they're things that happen in each and every one of our lives. Matthew chapter number 6. Look at verse number 25. Now I'm just going to highlight some points because I, this is not the meat of my message. But I want, to, I want to try to remind you of something, young people. This is where we live, okay? If you want to walk on water, why don't any, any more people walk on water than they do? The only one I think that did it in the Bible is, is Peter. Besides our lovely Lord Jesus Christ, why didn't anybody else? Well, I'll tell you what, I think it. there's some common denominators that hinder us from walking on water. Number one, I believe it's the thing called worrying. Now look at Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 25. Therefore, Jesus said, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now look up at me. The words take no thought are three words in the Greek. It's one word in the English. It means don't worry. It means don't worry. So young people, mom, dad, here's one of the things that hinders us from walking on water. It's called worrying. Young people, we got a problem in this. Why do we pray? Now, I want to ask you a question as a Christian. Why do we get down and pray for somebody and we know the God of heaven hears us because he said, if we two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And when we pray, we're getting a hold of the thrice holy God of Israel. And we get down and we pray, young people. And then we get up and we sit around and twiddle our thumbs and worry about what we just prayed about. We serve a God that is in the business of answering prayer. Call unto me, Jeremiah 33, 3 says. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that we serve a God that wants to pour out blessings on us. The problem is we won't allow him. Do you know that tonight God could just pull the plug on the reservoir revival and bring it to our society? But the problem is how bad do we want it? How bad do you want revival in your heart? If you, want to, if you want what's in your heart to continue on two, three weeks, Brother Dave, on down the road, you know what you got to do? The, one of the things that will hinder it, if you want it to stop, I promise you this is one thing that will stop it, and it's called worrying. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. About what? What you eat, what you drink, what you put on. You know what? We are so consumed in our society about worrying for stuff. Don't worry about things. Don't worry about things. The Bible tells me in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So don't worry about stuff. Most of y'all in here, have, well, if you go to London, you, you know there's, there's, a, there's a big population of Jamaicans now. Big population, if I'm not mistaken, Jamaicans uh, community. And you know what? One of the key phrases down in Jamaica is this. No problem, man. You ever heard them say that? No problem, man. I did that good. That's all right. <laughs> but listen, that's what they say. You know what that means? That means they don't have any worries. I think they do that in Greece too because they just don't worry about nothing. They don't care if they're on time or anything. That's when a panel... But listen, you know what? I have found this out, guys. If you take your Bible tonight, check me out, go back and get a Strong's Concordance, look it up, and look up the word problem in the Bible and tell me how many times it occurs. Do you know how many times it occurs? Zero. The word problem ain't even in your Bible. But yet we think we got so many of them, don't we? You want to know why a lot of people can't walk on water? 
is because they're worrying about stuff that ain't even necessary of worrying about. You know, I believe 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you react to it. Hello? 10%? Your life is made up of 10% of what happens to you and 90% on how you react to that. So, young people, I'm here to tell you that the first thing that will make you not walk on water, it'll hinder you, Brother Eddie, from walking on water, is worrying. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter number 8. We're going to look at another little storm that the disciples went through very quickly. Verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and said, uh, Lord, save us, we perish. In verse 26, he said, and he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Now, you know what? Here's the second thing that will hinder you from walking on water. A thing called worrying, and the next thing's called fear. Do you know what my Bible tells me in, in, in the book of Timothy? It says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be strong, Joshua 1.8. Be strong and of a good courage, Brother John. And be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. He said, surely as I was with Moses, I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. I'm telling you what right now, folks. I am thankful that Jesus gave them a promise that we're getting on that ship and we're going to the other side. And if it were, I told the young people this morning, if it were to sink... He'd make a Holy Ghost submarine out of it to give it to the other side. You mark my word, the God of heaven is not going to let the ship sink halfway in the middle of the sea. He's going to get us to the other side. But you know what the thing that hinders us from getting out of the boat is number one, worrying. Number two, fear. But number three, turn to Matthew chapter number 14. We look at our text and the third reason, the third reason that hinders us is found in verse number, well, we pick our verse, reading up in verse number 30. Peter is walking on the water. He comes out of the ship, he walks on water, and in verse 30 it says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. In verse 31 it says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou what? Doubt. Now, I want to ask you something tonight. Do you believe God can do what He said He could do? Oh, now, wait a minute now. Oh, you can say that. It can come across your lips and you say, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe God do. What you going to do when you lose your job? What you going to do when we don't, we don't just see a, re a recession? We see a deep depression. What you going to do when you go to the doctor and they take a x-ray of you and do an MRI and a CAT scan because you've been hurting and they see a mass in your stomach and they go, there, there's something wrong. We're going to have to go in there and see what that is. And they find out it's cancer and they say, you know what, you might have eight months to live. You going to start doubting God then? See, young people, this whole conference is not about just lifting you up and thinking, making you think that everything in the Christian life is just going to be hunky-dory. I'm here to tell you that you're going to go through storms and those storms are solidify you and to make you strong. You talk to some of the dear saints in this room that have lived for Jesus for 40, 50 years. You talk to Miss Booth right there. 
You talk to people like Pastor Larry, pastor of this church for almost 20 years now. You talk to dear saints like Hudson Taylor, if you could, and John, uh, David Livingston and John Wesley and some of these other dear saints that had to go through the trials and bury their wives on the mission field and their kids die of malaria and dysentery. Because you know what? It sounds real good when we sit in church and go, Amen. Boy, that's good. I like it, preacher. But you know what? There's going to come a time where your faith is going to have to be acted and demonstrated out in action. And are you going to worry about things? Are you going to be fearful? Are you going to doubt God can do what He said He could do? Are you going to? Because you know what? When you get down at the end of the month, and you've got more month at the end of your money than money at the end of the month, and you don't know how to make the bills, and you don't know how to do this, and you go, I've tried to figure all this out, and, 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 and it's just not working. Let me see if I can go get me another side job, and I'll try to... And you know what? You get three hours of sleep a night trying to work job after job just to make the ends meet. Why don't you get out on your face and, and beg God to show Himself? He said, why don't you uh, uh, prove God? Let, let God give Himself an opportunity to show Himself strong in your life and get down. And He said, if you'll do that, I'll open up windows of heaven and shower you down a blessing that you won't even be able to contain it. But you know what comes across the lips of most Christians? wonder if God can do what He said He could do. Instead of saying God can do what He said He could do. We're too busy saying can God when we ought to say God can. I want to ask you something tonight, young people. Hey, mom, dad, you here? Teenager? You going to trust God at what He said He'd do? It's your choice. Hey, just because you say, well, I'm just not buying what you're selling, and I think he's, done, he's dealt me a bad hand. That, that don't have anything to do with it. Our God's good. And you know what? Everything comes from the good hand of our God. And I'm asking you tonight, are you worrying? Are you fearful? Have you doubted? You know what all of that will lead to? All of that will lead to trying to figure out how to do it yourself. And you know what? We don't need to do that. We don't need to rely on our human resources and our little intellect to try to figure out the mind of God. Some of you in here right now are trying to figure out what God's specific will is for your life. You want me to give you a real good litmus test for how to figure out God's will for your life? If you want to know what God specifically wants to do with you, you begin to start following His standard will, and God will reveal His specific will to you. If you will begin to follow His standard will, you say, what is it? What's God's standard will? Well, what do we know to do that's right and in the center of God's will. Well, one of the things you're doing right now, you're fellowshipping with believers. That's a good thing. That's God's standard will. We draw strength from one another. Now, our ultimate strength is from Jesus Christ, but I'm here to tell you it's good to be around God's people, ain't it? One Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and how pleasant it is that brethren can dwell together in unity. I like that. And we draw strength from one another. You're, you're obeying God's standard will right now. You're fellowshipping with local believers. You know another way that you can uh, demonstrate and, and do God's standard will? How about reading your Bible? How about like uh, getting down and praying in the morning? Well, preacher, I pray in the evening. That's fine. Why don't the first thing you do when you get up, though, is hit, pitch your feet on the ground and you praise God for the air you can breathe and the feet you walk on? and say, God, everything today comes from you, and I ask you to give me strength. Amen. That took about seven seconds.
Well, I ain't got time to pray. It's just too early. Set your alarm clock 15 minutes earlier. Get up and pray, and I promise you, if you'll put your armor on before you go into the battle, you'll get through the day a whole lot easier. You're welcome. You want to know what hinders us from walking with God and walking on water? It's worrying, it's fear, it's doubt, and it's trying to figure out how to do it ourselves. Peter didn't try to figure out and start trying to get his physics into work his physics into how to walk on water. No, when Jesus said, I want you to come out here to me, he went and stepped right out of the boat and right on the water. He didn't say, well, let's see if the weight of the... He didn't try to figure nothing out. He just got out of the boat. I'll tell you the thing that hinders us the most is we worry about stuff, we're afraid, we doubt God can do what He said He could do, and when all of those things begin to culminate, Brother Steve, we try to figure out how to do it ourselves. I want you to turn though to Luke chapter number 5 very quickly. Because I want to show you something tonight that I hope will be a help to you before you leave this conference and go back home. Look at Luke chapter number 5 and verse number 1. You know what, young people? Maybe God, maybe God's asked you to sail with Him. Maybe He wants you to be on the boat. You know, I've asked myself many times, why didn't God call me to be a missionary? Why have I always stayed in the States? Well, you know what? The call is this. Some are called to stay, but some are called to go. But whether you're called to stay or you're called to go, you are a missionary. I used to do this to my church when we had a visiting missionary in our church. I remember when Brother Larry came. When Pastor Larry and his family came, I asked for a raise of hands because they were, they were in the service and he got to preach for me that Sunday. I said, uh, my dear fa uh, Curtis family is here visiting with us. I said, I wonder if I could find out if there's any other missionaries visiting with us today. And nobody else's hand went up and I said, you know what, all of you need to stand up because all of you are missionaries. Andrew, you're a missionary at the Guild. That's your, where your mission field is. That's one of your mission fields. Steve, you got a mission field called the Bull Ring. Man, I pray for you. <laughs> I mean, really. We had people shouting at us yesterday, making fun of us, laughing at us. But you know what? The praise of his people overshadowed their ridicule. Man, it was awesome, wasn't it, guys? I wasn't ashamed. Man, I'll stand with any of you. I'll go to bat for any of you. But I'm telling you this, there's one that's altogether lovely to go to bat for you every single time, even when Brother Brian's dead and gone. Man, I tell you, it's, it's awesome. But do you know what? Some of us are called to stay. Some of us are called to go. Some of you might be called to walk on water, but some of you maybe got called to stay in the boat. But if you're called to stay in the boat, guess what? There's a time... To stay in the boat, there's a time to get out of the boat. And if you're going to stay in the boat, God don't ask you to stay up on the shore. He asks you to launch it out. I want you to look at Luke chapter number 5. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, I'm totally convinced, folks, that what people need today is God's word. I believe there's still people that are hungry to hear what God has to say. They were in that day, I believe they are today. If that weren't the case, you wouldn't be here tonight. You're hungry to see what God has to say to you tonight through His Word. 
And it said the people pressed upon him that were here, the Word of God. When's the last time you heard of anybody pressing upon somebody to hear God's Word? That's rare today. I was in a camp meeting, and not a camp meeting, but we went to a little open-air meeting down in Guadalajara, Mexico when we go down there on a mission trip. And I could not, Pastor Larry, believe the amount of people that would come. We drove down a road that had ruts in it that deep. I mean three feet deep. You had to be careful because if you drove in one of them, you would disappear. I mean, you gone. And you had to be careful where you drove. We were driving down this dirt road, and I mean, it was just bumpy. And we drove eight miles, Tyler. Eight miles we're driving. All of a sudden, we got in this little community called Los Pozos. We started watching kids run out from the woods. I mean, they're coming out from vegetation and jumping out of bushes, and here they come, running behind the van. Man, they run up behind the van. I said, what's going on? It must be a gang. And I thought it was a gang. We pulled up to the church, and all these kids, I, I'm like, we're going to jump off here, and they're going to rob us. And all these kids run into the church and sit down on the floor and through an interpreter, listen to me preach God's Word. Over 115 people in a little town that probably don't have a population of no more than 250 and almost three quarters of the whole town's in that church. People standing outside looking in at me. They got to be nuts. But I mean, that's how much they want to hear God's Word. I heard a story about a missionary who they built when they landed. They landed in the depths of the Congo onto a tarmac that was built. When they landed the plane, the missionary got off and said, how in the world is there a runway, a tarmac, built right here in the middle of nowhere? And you know what the guy said? In broken English, he said, they built it because they wanted a missionary to come. You know what some of you in this room are called? I believe that with all my heart. I'm speaking to somebody tonight that you know what? Not everybody is called to the foreign mission field, but everybody under the sound of my voice ought to struggle with the possibility. You ought to say, Lord, do you really want me to go? Do you want me to go? Can you imagine people being so desperate to hear God's Word, that they would build a runway in preparation. He said, how long has this runway been here? He said, 15 years. People waiting for somebody to come and tell them the truth. But I don't want to stop there. I want us to look on. He said he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. They were done with the day. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's or Peter's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now here Jesus is, he's preaching out of Peter's boat, which I think is significant because he's getting ready to pinpoint Peter for a task. And he says, I want you to just launch it out, just uh, thrust it out just a little bit from the shore so I can preach to the people. It was probably the grassy knoll that kind of went up and elevated, and it's probably they were all sitting here, and he kind of did that so it would project his voice, and he could preach to thousands of people. And then it says this in verse number 4. Now when he would left speaking, he said unto Simon, look at what it says, launch out into the deep and let down your net for a draw. Your nets, excuse me. That's important. Let down your nets for a draught. You say, preacher, what's the point? Now, Peter 
had just loaned Jesus his boat to preach out of. Now Jesus has preached to the people. He's done. He said, now, Peter, I want you to take your ship that I just preached from and not just stay right here on the shore. He said, I want you to launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Look at verse number 5. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night. Let me kind of read this the way I think he might have said it. Lord, some of y'all identify with this. Lord, I'm, I'm tired. Been up all night. Y'all ain't been fishing, but y'all been up all night. I've been up all night, and we've, this is what we do, Lord. I mean, we're fishermen. Come on now. You're telling me to go back out and let my nets down for a draw. We fished all night. We're the best fishermen in the area. This is what we do for a living, Lord. And you're telling me you want me to go back out? We've caught nothing. There's no catch today. The young people, I want you to look at me right now. Here's where God's got you. At the end of this conference, this is what I'm asking you to think about. Are you going to stay up on the shore where it's safe? Or are you going to launch it out into the deep? See, you know I know a lot of people in the Christian life who are wading around in the kiddie pool in ankle-deep water. It's pretty safe in a kiddie pool, ain't it? You just kind of jump around and slosh your feet. And... But you know what? If you get out into 12 foot, you got to tread water. You can't touch bottom. And some of you in this room, you know what? You need to get off the shore and get out and launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a draw. Guess what? They were the best fishermen and they fished all night and caught nothing. And they said, Lord, we don't want to go back out. But look what happened. Look at verse number, look at verse, the rest of verse number five. I like what Peter does. He says, Lord, I'm tired, but nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the what? Boy, that's great faith, isn't it? The Lord said, let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, nevertheless, at thy word I'll let down a net. Boy, that's great faith, isn't it? I mean, he really believes God's going to bring in a good catch. Let me show you what happens. And when they had... Done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes that their net break. And they beckoning unto their partners were, which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You ever felt like that? I want you to look down at the latter part of verse number 10, the red writing. It says, Fear not, Jesus said, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now look up at me, young people. Do you realize what just took place? These men had fished all night, Andrew, caught nothing. They let down one net when the Lord said, let down all your nets. They caught so many fish that it almost sunk two ships. And when they got to shore, guess what they did? They ought to, I hope and pray that we'll do what they did. These men were professional fishermen, George, and you know what they did? On the best day they ever had fishing, they left their nets and quit. On the best day they ever had. I wonder 
If we would be willing to sacrifice everything, the best day we ever had in our vocation, we'd say, you know what, Lord, I'm forsaking it all and following you. You say, but preacher, I ain't worthy enough to walk on water. I ain't no super saint. You don't have to be a super saint to walk on water. You just got to get out of the boat. Will you take a, just a moment with me and turn to Luke chapter number 12? I want to show you something that's really hit home to me. Luke chapter number 12, I want you to look at verse number 6. Luke chapter number 12 and look at verse number 6. Or let's look up at verse number 4 and I'll begin right there. He said, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that have no more uh, that they can do, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Think about that for a minute. Y'all were wanting in question and answer time to know how powerful the devil is? Don't you pick a fight with the devil. Look at me, young people. Don't you pick a fight with the devil. He'll, he's powerful. He's got tremendous power. He's a deceiver, a murderer, a liar. He's the father of lies. Don't you pick a fight with him. Now I want you to look at what Jesus says next. He says, why do you fear that one? Well, look at it. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? You say, what's a farthing? Well, it's a monetary amount of money. It's literally equivalent to two pennies. Two pence. It says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings or two pence? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Have you ever thought about this, folks? Have you ever thought that about your significance in Christ, but yet... Sometimes in your flesh, and then when you get a, 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 a you get your thinking all messed up, you begin to think, you know what? I'm not very, I'm not very significant. I'm pretty insignificant. I don't matter much. I don't have any gifts. I can't do much. I can't sing. I, I can't preach. I can't do this. I can't do that. Quit complaining about what you can't do, and praise God for what you can do. But have you ever felt insignificant? I felt that way before. I want you to look at this. Turn over to Matthew. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 10. I want to show you something and then I'm going to close. Matthew chapter number 10. You say, I can't walk on water. I don't feel that significant enough. Well, look at chapter number 10. Look at verse number 29. Now, our text in Luke, what we, we just read, said, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings or two pence, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Now, look at Matthew chapter number 10 and verse 29. It says, are not two sparrows sold for a what? For one farthing. For one penny. One pence. And, I, and, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father knowing about it. Now look up at me. Okay, Matthew said that we've got two sparrows are sold for one penny. But our text in Luke says you get five for two. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but something ain't adding up here. You know what the some of the some of the uh, commentaries say, Tyler? That if you could get two sparrows for one farthing, that means you ought to get four sparrows for two farthing. And you know what? For good measure, they throw one in for free. You get five for the price of four. 
Now, I want to ask you something tonight. Have you ever felt like a fifth sparrow? You ever felt like the one that was just thrown in for free? You know, I found out if you go down to the if you go down to Tesco or to Costco right now, there ain't a great abundance of sparrows sold in the freezer section. Nobody's wanting sparrow for Thanksgiving. Hey, come over and let's have a meal of sparrow. No, you don't eat sparrow. They're insignificant. And do you know what? A lot of us sometimes feel like that fifth sparrow. It's just kind of thrown in for free. Do you know what my Bible tells me, Matt? That not one of them, not one, not even the one that's thrown in for free, falls to the ground without our Father in heaven knowing about it. I heard a story one time about a little boy that was wanting to go on his birthday to pick out a puppy. And they took him over here and they had some Cocker Spaniels, these Cocker Spaniel puppies, and he was to pick out the one he wanted. And they walked all of these, I'm talking full breed, Cocker Spaniels before this little boy. And he looked at all of them and uh, he said, nope, nope, not that one, not, no, no, not that one. So six went by and seventh went, went by, no, not that one. And he said, I don't like none of these. And here come the eighth one. And the eighth one was limping. Looked like it had a dislocated hip or something that was from birth and it wasn't walking right. And he said, that's, that's the one I want. And the dog owner said, son, you got all these perfect puppies right here. The, all of these puppies are perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. That one just happened to walk out of the cage. I wasn't going to bring it to tell you that was one that you could pick from. He said, you can pick from these seven. He said, no, I want the one that's, that's got the leg problem. He said, why would you pick out a puppy that's got a leg problem? He lifted up his shirt, little 12-year-old boy, and he said, you see this brace? He said, I was born with that. He said, I was born with a leg problem. He said, I think I like that puppy a whole lot better than these perfect ones. You know, aren't you glad that God loves this fifth sparrow? Aren't you glad that His eye is on the fifth sparrow, just as it is the four that you paid for? Have you ever felt like a fifth sparrow? You ever felt like God is done with you? You're insignificant? You ever felt that way? You can close your Bibles. I'm done. About five, six years ago, I was reading the Reader's Digest, and in that commentary, there was an article in there that told a story about that happened about ten years ago. There was a man... I will not mention his name, but his, there was a man who used to be, and this is still common today in the United States of America, unfortunately. There was a man who was the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Of course, most of you know what the KKK stands for. I won't go into depth about that. But it's a very perverse uh, organization that's against Jews and African Americans, and it's a wicked, wicked association and organization. I don't have anything to do with that. don't want anything associated with it. But the Grand Dragon of the KKK fell ill of cancer. He had no family that was still living. None. His son had died in a car wreck. His wife had died of, I believe, sclerosis of the liver. He had his parents were deceased. He had no family, no brothers or sisters. He was the only child. He was dying of cancer, and there was a, he was from Alabama. There was a family in Alabama, a family of Messianic Jews, saved Jews. Now you know that the Ku Klux Klan cannot stand 
the Jews. This family took him in. They nursed him while he was sick. And in his last days, that father of that Messianic Jewish home went in and took the book of Isaiah, went to chapter 53, and began to read that while he was in the bed. And he said, Sir, I'm here to tell you that Yeshua, Hamashiach, came to die for you. And he began to preach to him Jesus. And guess what? That man who was an abject heathen, a prejudiced, bitter old man, laying in a bed, gave his heart to Jesus Christ and was saved gloriously by the grace of God. What they did not know was when he died, about three months later, he had a note that he had sealed and it had the man's name, the father of the family's name written on it to read at his funeral. He requested that this man do his funeral. When he got to the letter, he opened it up and he read this and at the last part of the letter it said this, Brother George, It said, thank you for leading me to Jesus Christ because you led me to one who took me and made me a butterfly when I was a dragon. You know what? I don't care how insignificant you think you are. If you want to walk on water, all you got to do is get out of the boat. Some of you are worrying about things in your life you ought not worry about. Some of you in here are fearful about things you ought not be afraid about. Some of you in here are doubting God who said, I'm I'm more than able to provide your need whenever you need it, wherever you need it, and how much you need. I'm able to do that. And you know what I think about when I think of a sparrow? I think all a sparrow's good for is building a nest in your carport and then messing up your driveway. That's what they do. Washing stuff off your car all the time. That's all they do. But you know what I found out? A sparrow's got a song. A sparrow can sing. And you know what? If you're a Christian that wants to walk on water, you start praising His name and just get out of the boat. I promise you, He'll give you the strength to do it. Why should I be Discouraged, why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely, longing for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He's watching me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. Sing it with me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. 
His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around tonight, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder tonight if you'd say, you know what, preacher God? God's done some great things in my life this weekend. And I thank Him for it. But you know what? I need to get out of the boat. I really do need to get out of the boat. I've been worrying about things I ought not worry about. I've been fearful. I've been doubtful. I've been, uh, I've been trying to analyze God and figure out how to fix this thing. And you know what, God? All He wants me to do is let go and let Him do it. And I wonder if you'd say, preacher, with an upraised hand, I want you to pray for me. God spoke to my heart, and I really believe this message uh, was pinpointing an area in my life I need to get some things reconciled in. And you'd say, preacher, just pray for me. Once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless you. Thank you. Hands. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, buddy. You can put it down once you put it up. Thank you. Are you in this room, and you know what? I want a chance to pray for you before we say the last amen. And you'd say, preacher, God bless you. Thank you. Maybe your definite need is this. Maybe your definite need is you have never gotten safely inside the boat. Maybe you need to come to Calvary. Maybe you need that heavenly father to put his eye on you. He's looking for you. He wants to save you. But you know what? You've got a choice to make. Hey, come to Jesus tonight if you ain't saved. You know what? You want to walk on water, young people? You got to get out of the boat. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for this group of young people. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, to minister to their hearts this weekend. Lord, it's been a long weekend, but a refreshing one. And Lord, our prayer is that by this time next year, we'll be eager and anticipating a great movement of God in our midst again, Lord willing. I pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon Bethel Free and all the precious people that have taken time to be in the shadows and not on the stage and do everything that nobody else really sees, but we praise you for them. We ask you, Lord, to do a great work in our midst tonight as we uh, finish up. And, Lord, go to our final discussion time, and we'll love and praise you for what you do in our midst tonight. I pray for the ones that raised their hand that said that God spoke specifically to them tonight. God, undergirt them with the truth of your word that you said you'd never leave them nor forsake them. And Father, help us, Lord, if we're on the boat and you've called us to get out, to by faith just step out and not try to analyze things, but just walk on water. We'll love you and praise you for what you do in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.